This is Salt and Spine. I want them starving by five o'clock when I put dinner on the table or when I lay out the, you know, the family style or when I do the buffet. I want everybody like cannot wait to eat because then they're fed. You wash your hands. You're done. And then you can enjoy the party because you really can't enjoy it till the people are fed. It's a fact. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, Stories Behind Cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Jeff Morrow. A Chicago native, Jeff has been beaming into your home TVs via Food Network since 2011, when he was crowned the winner of Season 7 of Food Network Star, and then later that year, under another crown as host of his show, Sandwich King. And then more TV shows followed, Food Network's The Kitchen, which he's co-hosted since 2014, and most recently his new show, Kitchen Crash. Now, a born performer who grew up in a big family, Jeff's always had a knack for entertaining, both the putting on a show definition and the having people over to eat something definition. And that's translated well for his career and now for his first cookbook. It's titled Come On Over, 111 Fantastic Recipes for the Family That Cooks, Eats, and Laughs Together. And it's loaded with recipes from Jeff's childhood. Think Chicago classics to smoking and grilling favorites, to, of course, sandwiches, to even to boil recipes. More on what that means later in the show. Now, Jeff joined us remotely in the Salt and Spine virtual studio for today's show. Stick around. It's a great conversation. And of course, we're ending with a culinary game. Hint, it's a comedy-themed one today. So let's head now to our virtual studio, where Jeff Morrow joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on Salt and Spine. It's the hottest cookbook podcast there is. I agree with that. Thank you so much. Uh, We're thrilled to have you on the hottest cookbook podcast there is to talk about (laughs) one of the hottest. (laughs) I will. um, (laughs) One of the hottest new cookbooks uh, talk about today. Come on over your your new cookbook, your first cookbook, 111 Fantastic Recipes for the Family That Cooks, Eats, and Laughs Together. I love the cover. It's so bright and enticing and just makes me want to come over to your house for dinner. Looks like a fun time. Well, you are invited anytime, Brian, if you pass, obviously, a series of physical and mental tests and exams. But otherwise, that's why I just wanted a book. You know, that was like, it's funny, the the genesis of that cover, right? If you see me on the landline uh, analog phone for all those, you know, sub-gen Xers out there that uh, (laughs) might not know what that is. It hangs on the wall. It's got a, a cord. And I wanted the look. I don't know. I just wanted a retro look without pretending to be something else that's my life right now is and has been for the last how many years is just you know being the one family you know with the central hub house the nucleus that is constantly saying on the phone via text whatever way of communicating come on over and it doesn't have to be a scary word but often is a lot of, a lot of these times and as we come out out of this pandemic i think the timing of this birth book is perfect it scared me at first last year when we were shooting the book and we knew what it was called and I knew all the recipes and it was literally the first week before the stay-at-home orders were issued in New York, LA, and Chicago. And we had a week yeah. to get this done before the whole world shut down and we did it. And it was the gravity of the situation was palpable and it really shows in the joy of this book now that it comes out. It like When I got it in hand, I was like, I think we're out of this. I think we're kind of out of this. I think we're beginning to come out of it. And now that uh-huh. people are having two people or four people or how many you feel comfortable with over at your house, this is a good book to kind of launch that party up. A lot of tips and fun pictures and stories too. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. I want to maybe come back to that, too, because the idea of putting out an entertaining cookbook in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, now we're sort of at the end of it, but the process, right, was, as you noted, right in the middle of that. So that's really interesting. But before we get back to the book, I want to talk a little bit more about you. I think a lot of folks sort of know a lot about your life story, how you came to the career you're in now. But let's go let's go sort of all the way back. So you grew up in a pretty big family, a, a big immediate and a big extended family, right? Correct. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of four children. Uh, my okay. mom has three siblings and all of them had four children. So, well, except my uncle Neil, he had three. Uh, uh, he's a big, yeah. you know, big slacker, of course. <laughs> yeah. The bust out of the family. No. And, and so we were, we all lived in the same area in the same neighborhood. And it was just like a lot of big family. I feel like that's almost archaic too these days, right? It's like retro having these giant families that are constantly inundated with each other. But my favorite words growing up to hear my mom say, on the phone was come on over because I knew we were cousins were coming over aunts uncles company cuz you know the the people you call cousins that you're not really your cousins you know sure. but we always were surrounded with food and for as big of a family we were we had so many tremendous cooks in the family that I mostly the matriarchs in my family that I learned a lot of my you know my substantial base skills from are from my aunts and my mother my grandma and I love that you mentioned you have the the cord phone, the old school phone with the cord on the cover of the book, because that makes an appearance right away in the intro, too, when you talk about your mom talking on the phone with this like super long, I think many of us remember those really long cords that just stretched from room to room so you could go wherever. And she'd always be saying, you know, come on over, come over for uh, entertaining. You mentioned food was always a part of that, too. You were also sort of, I think, a natural entertainer from very early on right so that played a part in your excitement around having people over too i imagine oh for you know i would i would get to try out new material on them you know whatever (laughs) my my sick impression of dana carvey doing george bush was always a hit around the uh you know the kids table but just you know what i loved it i love being around people i love making people laugh i still do and for me like this book is just a, an homage to, to all that. This is not like a book where it's like, this is how you make 15, you know, uh, portions of lasagna for a party. It's not about that. It's, I mean, come on over as one person or 10, you know, whether it's your, that one lonely uncle of yours, you know, <laughs> and you might not want to come over, but it still ends up sure. being a story and a great time. And there's a coffee cake. So you're happy regardless, right, you know, right. to a family graduation party. So I'm just really, I'm proud of it. And, I owe it all to my, I mean, I still live in the neighborhood I grew up in. My aunts were over yesterday with my mom and we were cooking and, you know, it's like, I'm still in it. So that's why this book feels to me like real, you know, there's, there's not a, this facade to it. I don't not, yeah. not to say that other books have that, but I'm in it. I'm still in the, the, the you know, I'm in the junk here. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I read pretty early on as a kid, you were you can tell me sort of when you became more interested in food as a career. I know you went mm-hmm. on to like your first job was at a butcher shop, but I read that even early as a kid, like you were very serious about your food and you would take sandwiches to school for lunch and ensure that all of the components were stored separately so that you could create the best sandwich at lunchtime. Was that sort of an inkling of like your career or when did you sort of realize that food was going to be the path for you? How did that fall into place? Th- that was probably the the most singular like moment that bringing my lunch and suffering on behalf of freshness, essentially, because I was not very good. It wasn't good for my popularity, my, my Q rating at school, okay. right? It wasn't hot with, the, with, with all the, you know, local co-eds because I was like the one chubby kid building a lunch from scratch. 
using even if could you imagine pulling out 12 sandwich baggies from your, your kid's <laughs> lunch this day and age? I mean, it's an abomination, I, you know, environmentally. So right. could you, I mean, back then, thank God, nobody cared. I guess nobody cared as much about the environment, but for me, it was right. about the flavor and it always came through. And I remember being young and my mom would pack these lunches. And the reason I separated everything, cause I like hated mushy textures and saturated bread with mustard and or peanut butter and jelly. Remember when like the great jelly seeps through the top of the slice of bread and it's like, uh-huh. ugh, it's like liquid. And I didn't, I can always, it's so weird. I can always detect the plastic smell, aroma and flavor in my food. So I would often only wrap the bread in foil because the foil was okay. kind of this neutral material that didn't emit a scent to the bread, which would soak everything up. The meat was fine sure. in plastic and all that. I couldn't detect it, but I was just anal about it. My mom's like, fine, make your own lunch, you know, which I did. And that kind of was like, yeah. I like making my own lunch. I like building these sandwiches. The minute I can get my worker's permit, the day I turned 15, I went down the street and I, you know, applied for a job. And 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 from that moment on, I always worked in food, but always, you know, entertained, you know, but that never really paid the bills doing comedy or improv or theater, whatever, you know, so I always had this kind of double life where I'd cook at day, you know, cook at night or in the days and perform at nights as well. So, you know, yeah. obviously food network would be the pinnacle of this, you know, of the, the melding of those two. Yeah. It's the pinnacle. And and I know it took you a while to, to sort of get to that point, right? Cause you, you went to college for communications. You were sort of doing what you just described in terms of working in food in the day and in the evenings and the weekends, you're on stage or performing in some capacity, I know you moved to Los Angeles and you started to audition for Food Network Star. It sort of was a long path for you, right, to actually get to the place where those two things sort of really converged for you in a career, right? I tried it like the old fashioned way, like moving to Hollywood and uh-huh. shooting my, you know, shooting my own show and shopping it around and getting a producer and getting a representation. Like I, I was in rooms, man, in my 20s where I was like, I made it. I think I made it. I go, yeah. this guy's going to shoot a pilot for me. But if you've ever, I don't know where you where, where are you based out of, Brian? I'm in San Francisco. Okay. So, you know, I'm sure you know of LA. I mean, it just like yeah. rips you apart. Like it just crushes your dreams at every corner. So I was, yeah. I was taught quickly that, you know, there's only so much you can, you can hustle on your own, the old fashioned way. And luckily at that time there was Food Network Star, which was very like the best pathway there. So I was like, okay, I've tried it the old fashioned way. Let's start auditioning for this Food Network Star. I started auditioning season four. I didn't make it on until season seven. I auditioned every year while still honing my skills as a chef. You know, I went to culinary school before that and I worked in restaurants while still performing and doing more improv than moving back home and having a family. Like, yeah, it, it, it's a hell of a, it, it's just a hell of a journey. So I was happy. I'm yeah. happy. Like, I feel like this book is like so long in the making too, because I was shopping around a book the year I won Food Network Star and that was 10 years ago. So, oh wow, I wasn't ready though. Like, I wasn't ready to get cast on Food Network Star season four, or season five, or season six. But by the time season seven, my my soul was back at home. I had my family. I was working. I was inventing. You know, I was I was professional. You know, a professional chef hustling on the side. So it was it was a good timing for that, and even better timing for this cookbook to come out now too. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's all happening. Maybe it's maybe it's my movie, Brian, and I'm the star of it, and you're all watching <laughs> yeah. it. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't want yeah. to lose any of it. Okay, man. It took too hard. So <laughs> yeah, everybody out there, please give me a good review. 
Yeah. That, that's so interesting that you were um, pitching or thinking of a cookbook when you were first on Food Network Star, because I was going to ask you how long this has sort of been in in your mind, how long this has been a goal for you, and sounds like a while, but did you know it would always sort of be this concept around entertaining and the come on over concept that you ended in or how did that come no, about? No, not at all. I, I, I started in the sandwich world, you know, right. so I was going to write the definitive sandwich cookbook, right? Yep. And, and it sounds so tasty on paper, but publishers just don't want a singular, you know, it pigeonholes you, it, uh, it, it polarizes people who don't eat bread or don't like picking up food with their hands. So I, I wanted a cookbook that was about my love of food from the food I grew up eating with locally in Chicago to my wife's baking, to the stuff we now serve at the kids' parties, to sandwiches, sure. to the influence from my in-laws who are from Eastern Hazard, Kentucky, you know what I mean? Uh That I never knew of and that I fell in love with them and their food. So it's not just about sandwiches. I'm glad finally, like, because the, to be honest with you, like those first couple offers I got on my sandwich idea books were abysmal, right? I I could, I would have still been in the hole with playing photographers, right? In studio time and all that. So I'm glad by the time it happened, it was like, it was an epiphany. It was in one of the first meetings we had with my literary agent, my longtime agents. And my one agent who knows me better than anybody is like, you just said it. I go, what did I say? Because I mentioned that. I was like, oh, I just want people to come over and eat. And he goes, you just said it. I go, what? He goes, come on over. That's the name of the cookbook. I'm like, and it's the name of everything else I do for the next six decades. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I I swept up that URL and I'm like, I'm going to, this just makes sense. And then every chapter is, you know. I got the smoker going. Come on over. I'm firing up the pizza oven. Come on over. We're hosting Christmas this year. God, God forbid. Come on over. You know, so right. it's just a great launching pad just to showcase, you know, my love for food in the stories that go with it. Right. It's a, a really personal cookbook, too. I mean, it's it's an ode to uh, there's a lot of family recipes in here. There's a lot of recipes, as you mentioned, for how you cook now. It's also in a lot of ways an ode to Chicago and the culinary landscape of Chicago and how you've experienced Chicago food. Did you know when you were doing it that it would be so personal that you'd have uh, we often you know, talk with celebrity chefs who write cookbooks and often sometimes write many of them. And like it's hard to sort of make them that personal sometimes. What was that process like for you? I guess it was easier because this was my first. So I did have like, you know, it's like that first album that comes out by that great artist, right? right? You have all this brewing inside you and during, you know, throughout the hustle of however long it took you to get a record deal, right? So it's like the same thing. I had these stories ready to go. And I really wanted to make this the funniest cookbook you can read. Yeah. Not only well-vetted, well-tested, time-tested recipes, but also stories. And some of them are... Like the head notes are, you know, loosely based. On, I, I I bring it back home, you know. They're loosely based on the recipe, but I have stories that I've been wanting to tell people for a long time that I've never told on the air or in interviews that I've really combed over the words, you know. And you don't realize that when you write a book and you have these editors, you know, an editor involved and the the assistant editor in like you're combing over words, like wor- like you're approving, right. like one word. And sometimes that word takes three emails and I didn't want any of the magic to be lost. So I was like, if I start super personal and funny and warm and real, I think we're at a good place and it only should, you know, bolster up the food and the recipes as well. And I think I, I I think we kind of hit it, you know, there's some funny moments in there. So I love it. 
But, you know, I, I love it. I'm a personal guy, you know. I share too much probably sometimes. Yeah. Get. Mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely um, great personal stories. There's some good humor in here. There's also, you know, a lot of um, stories that you share that are really, I think, meaningful. Like you you write about your relationship with your grandmother and mm-hmm. around her. I think they're called sausage rolls. Am I getting that right? Uh, uh, it's sausage bread, which some regions call sausage rolls, right? Or pepperoni bread or whatever. But ours, we called it sausage bread. It's just like a very chewy almost underbaked, you know, bread presentation stuffed with sausage, a little bit of cheese to bind and shaved pepperoni and shaved salami in there. Real fennelly sausage. And it served room temperature and cut into thick medallions. And it preceded every meal we, every party, every holiday, every birthday, there was always a tray of my grandma's sausage bread to the point when I had her on Sandwich King, my show, yeah, making her sausage bread, she gave, she stopped. Yeah. She stopped making the sausage bread because it's on the internet now and it's right. on the TV. Everybody knows how to make it. I'm not making this damn sausage bread anymore. <laughs> right. She has since passed. So having that recipe in there, the picture of her and the story behind her being like the greatest cousin's grandma, as I call her, that ever lived. People are like, what do you mean by cousin's grandmas? Because like she was like the, the, the leader of the cousins and we all got together, all 15 of us, and we'd sleep over there and we'd drink... She'd make us really, really strong stovetop Italian style espresso <laughs> and teach us how to play draw poker and gambling into the night, you know, eight, nine years old, caffeinated. Right. Again, probably illegal this day <laughs> yeah. and age, but for us, it was, it meant everything. And it was always, you know, it was always the food, you know, the sausage bread and everything. So just stories like that. We'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with Jeff Morrow. Don't go anywhere. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Salt and Spine. This week, you'll find a chance to win your own copy of Jeff's book, Come On Over. You'll also find a featured recipe from the book. It's the Fig and Mortadella Melt. We love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors each week to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Carla Hall to today's guest, Jeff Morrow, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cookbook giveaways for listeners like you, and so much more. Salt and Spine truly brings cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. And now back to our conversation with Jeff Morrow, author of Come On Over. Are any of these recipes new? It feels like these are recipes you've been cooking for so long. And when you're putting a cookbook together, often you're developing new recipes and testing them. But what was that process like? Are these recipes that have sort of all been staples? Were you developing new concepts? Some of them are pretty unique, like yeah. the boils. I'm really intrigued <laughs> How did about you, That's you, where you I was going to. <laughs> okay. Great minds. I know, right? Uh, there's, there's, there's some you know, classic content in there that has, has all of them have been reworked you know, retested, yeah. reformulated for the modern palate, if you will. If it's uh-huh. like a year old. Sure. Um, and <laughs> some of them are brand, most of them are brand spanking new. Like all these, I do two boils on there. I know like the least, you know, attractive, delicious word on the planet is probably boil. But if you think <laughs> yeah. of shrimp boil, you're like, aha, it's, it evokes, right. it evokes a sensation, right? A, a, a plating mm-hmm. style. And that's what these two recipes are. I do my Italian sub boil. In my nacho boil, which is plated on parchment on a six foot table. 
And it's like right. this free form way to eat an Italian sub with the shaved mortadella shards of just like hand torn, oily, slightly toasted Italian bread, right? To give you that Italian sub soft roll vibe, shredded iceberg lettuce, bo- little bolconcini balls, homemade sweet Italian vinaigrette strewn about it. You got the tomatoes on there. You got everything. And it's just a fun new way if you're outside and it's a cool summer evening, you played it like this. It's it's a fun way to eat. Same thing with the nachos I do. Just ladle that cheese. Six feet of nachos. There's never enough. Yeah. There's never enough no. cheesy middle nacho pieces. So why not create six feet of it for everybody to enjoy? Yeah, I, I love both of those. Um, I was also really intrigued to read about your approach towards appetizers as a person who entertains a lot, that your strategy is zero to one appetizers. Can zero you talk about one. that? I know. Controversial, yeah. Brian. Like you're, you're yeah, turning red right now. It's, uh, <laughs> I hate putting all my efforts towards the main event, the entrees, right? The meat, the veg, the salad, all that stuff that you really think about when most of the time, the appetizers are either brought by people or an afterthought. And if you have sure. three, four, five appetizers out there, maybe mediocre quality or you know, media, you know, mediocre thought, they tend people tend to fill up too quickly on the chips and the dips and the big meaty yep. stuff and all this other stuff. And then by they're stuffed, and then you're or you're either waiting two more hours to feed everybody because nobody's that hungry anymore. And right. you in the efforts are, are are somewhat wasted because you, the the people aren't as you know they're already satiated they're not they're not you know they're not salivating over that main course me I I get them in and I want them hungry and be like they're like I'm like there's a nice mild crudite platter right some right. little dipper with some beautifully cut rainbow carrots right little, yep. little mini bell peppers Brian everything you could want a little tray maybe a little sausage uh-huh. bread if you play your cards right. But other than sure. that, I want them starving by five o'clock when I put dinner on the table or when I lay out the, you know, the family style or when I do the buffet, I want everybody like cannot wait to eat because then they're yeah. eating, they're fed, you're, you wash your hands, you're done. And then you can enjoy the party because you really can't enjoy it till the people are fed. It's a fact. It makes so much sense. It's so logical. It just, I I grew up in the Midwest and we were always all about appetizers Mm -hmm. in my family. It was just, you had the spread and you're totally right. People are full. People don't eat. It it lingers. And what was your favorite growing up? And we're in the Midwest and what was your favorite appetizer? I I grew up in Iowa. Um, My favorite appetizer, I always loved, we would bake um, pickle rolls, which are oh. pickles rolled in cream cheese and oh. some ham oh, and then boy. sliced into little oh, little coins. Look at <laughs> uh, that. I loved those. You loved that. It was the last time yeah. you had that. It's been a while. It's been a long time. You I should bring make it them. Back. They're really easy. You got to bring it back. <laughs> yeah. Post it. People go crazy. Yeah. Pickle rolls. Forget about it. But that's, yeah. see, that's okay, right? Because it's not... Right. It's, 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 it's not too vegetal heavy. and meaty. It's not too heavy. You know, people get crazy with the chips and all this and the pretzels right. and the big bready stuff. I don't like it. I want them hung. I want them like, when are we eating, Jeff? Like within the hour. I sometimes am known when people walk in the door, I'm like, you got 12 minutes, make a drink. We're about to throw <laughs> yeah. down. I want to do right. I want to feed you because I know you're coming in hot and right. I don't have the appetizers. And you know, everybody comes in hot with, to my house. They come hungry because they know they're going to get fed. We always have an appropriate amount of food, but not many appetizers because the main yeah. event's better, man. Do you really want to like, yeah, right? It's like, think about this. It's like the opening band uh-huh. for the ma- the headliner, right? That headliner does not want a better opening. Ba- you know, you don't want Van right. Halen opening for 
Def Leppard. You just can't have it. Right. They're they're in the same hemisphere. So if yeah. you have a lesser band, Dokken, or a somewhat up and coming, you know, uh, a hair metal band opening for Def Leppard, right? It wets the beak a little yeah. bit, but it doesn't right. make them full on rock and roll. So by the time yeah. Def Leppard hits the stage, right, It'll spark one up, you right. throw up the lighter, and you crush that that cold one. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I'm I'm adopting that strategy from this point forward. I appreciate. Um, it. We Thank talked you. a little bit about yeah the pandemic and how you you finished this book sort of just as the pandemic was really kicking in. Right, we were really hitting our lockdown moment. You've also been adapting since then. I mean, you've been filming your show virtually. You've been cooking at home with your family and your kids, and sharing that, and your kid and sharing that with social media. Like, how have you sort of been adapting over the past year as someone who is a, a food entertainer and is now sort of constrained to your home kitchen in a way that you haven't been before? Yeah, it's 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 been. First of all, I've like re fell in love with cooking all over again. I think a lot of people have, especially in our position where. Not that the romance was lost, but the romance was lost at home. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and since we were now basically, you know, encouraged by the public to share like like everything in our right. homes, you know, what we're cooking, how we cook it, do the lives and all that. It's really been a great renaissance. And it's been wonderful to be in a position such as, you know, the Food Network talent or a professional chef or a professional entertainer. It's just it's a big, great way to kind of self, you know, control what you know, content you're putting out there. Um, that being said, I, I, we had to rework my family dynamic here. Uh, uh-huh. and my wife, who's a nurse, uh, by trade is not a camera operator. Right. And this we had to change because nobody else was coming in the house to film. And the only way we can film this is with other hands. And the only way we can, you know, pay the rent, I mean, you pay the mortgage and the bills was to keep shooting the show. And everybody agreed that like all the spouses and significant others really showed up and it was a magical time. We're back in studio now and we're about to shoot our second season in studio. Uh-huh. We shot in December of the kitchen and I shot my new right. show Kitchen Crash on, on, on location as well. So we're doing it safely now, but we shot 35 episodes of the kitchen from home. Outside, yeah. inside, using nothing but, you know, my wife's patience and right. ever growing camera skills, which now she's, it's unbelievable. You know, it's yeah. like, it's, 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 it's been, just been fun. I don't know. It's fun. It's such a yearbook that we have now yeah. this record of these shows that we shot from home and then we lit ourselves and you could see the, you know, the, the evolution of the right. skills improving in the equipment kind of improving right you start with that an iphone in your hand in a literally a usb ring light to you know professional led panel lights and in in you know uh, gimbals that stabilize the phone and uploading 4k uh-huh. and all this stuff it was it's just like it was a it was a horrible time for so much of the world but i just loved the the special you know how special it was to come together with food yeah i i hear that um, we have to talk about deep dish pizza briefly. You talk about it in the book. You say, I'm done attempting to offend deep dish pizza to anyone else in the country. If you've had it right, you'll understand. How much of Chicago did you feel like you wanted to include in this book? Because we talk about hot dogs, we talk about pizza. I mean, we talk about caramel cheese corn, like it's all sort of in here. And I love how much of it is represented there. Was that something you knew going into it that you wanted to include a, a sort of chapter on as you did? 
Yeah, to the point where I had to like whittle it down. You, you know, okay. we were like, we were, oh, we were extended too much. I had to cut some recipes out because I want, so I didn't want to like offer up too many deep cuts that wouldn't resonate with a lot of people. That's why I stuck to the deep dish tavern style pizza, the chicken Vesuvio, the garbage salad, yep. stuff I grew up eating that I'm so passionate about. Not because I'm like, have that second city mentality where I screw New York. We're the best because we're <laughs> real and we're, you know. I've I've, right. I've had that argument and conversation with my co-hosts, with people. <laughs> I spent half my life on the East Coast shooting. I understand. I lived yep. in LA for four years. I have a pretty good breadth of knowledge on the coast in how it feels sure. to live in the middle, right? And uh-huh. I didn't want to go into it with like this Chicago chip on my shoulder. So when I say, if you've had, de- you know, I'm done. Every it's a casserole. What did you know? Uh-huh. What did Bourdain say? What did Zimmern say? What did Bobby like? What all these credible people with wonderful palates and skills say about? I don't care what they say. I guarantee you right now, if you're hungry, Brian, and you have a bone to pick with yeah. deep dish pizza, if I order you a Lou Malnati's butter crust, uncut, medium, well done, pepperoni, triple pepperoni, and I put in front of you, mm. you're gonna crush three quarters of that pizza and feel like yeah. garbage about yourself for the next three days because <laughs> you ate too much. That's a fact. So that's what I meant by that. If you understand, you under you know it if you know. If you're not, I don't yeah. need to like sit here and pontificate on why this is better than I've had that conversation. Hot dogs, right. forget about it. Bolco suck. Yeah. Chicago does yeah. We care about our hot dogs like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. So that's a fact, Jack. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, here we go. No, I appreciate it. And Luminati's it's it's the best for a reason and also because they ship coast to coast. And it's so not a bad chipped product, man, to do it's it home. Not. We eat it in LA twenty years ago and it was good. You know, it's like Yeah. It's not quite the same, but it's it does its job. It scratches that itch. Exactly. Until now, now till my till my deep dish my deep dish is a oh, yeah. clone that I spent like right. six months. Reverse engineering, and I'm really, really proud of it. So, right, I can't wait to try it. Obviously, we're a show on cookbooks. We always like to ask folks if there are particular authors or cookbooks that have been really influential to you over the course of your career. Now, either you know through culinary school or as you were working on your first cookbook that you turned to for inspiration. A great question. I love um, the flavor bible. It's yeah. uh, uh, Andrew uh, Dronenberg and. Um, Karen Page. So I've had that. It's like, it's like, it looks like it's spent three decades in a storefront, you know, of some small, uh-huh. you know, uh, brightly lit bookstore. Uh, <laughs> right. It's all faded. But for me, and that's not even a cookbook. I mean, there are recipes in it. If anybody knows, it's more about Matt. For me, it's, it's my, it's like what I pick up all the time when I'm looking for inspiration. I have a blueberry. I want to do something with blueberries. What's, what's a, what's a way to, uh, uh, not only pair it with other ingredients, but you know, it it it's like a it's like a little a wormhole of flavors that you get if you're like, oh my god, well that means mint goes with blueberry, but what does go with mint? And then you got tarragon, you know, and then you could do uh-huh. garlic breadcrumbs. And you're like, holy cow! And then you just kind of piece together this thing using just the basic you know knowledge in chemistry and science of flavor matching, you know, uh, yeah. compatibility. And I I love that. And I'm a you know I'm a big Kenji fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, food lab is great for his in-depth style. You know, I try to get a little Kenji in. I just, you know, I just don't have it. I'm like a C math yeah. student in math 101. <laughs> and that was like the freshman year in college is the last math course I took. And it translates like literally yeah. had to like, I, you know, I'm the guy who has to pull out his calculator, you know, for like 20, oh, you know, yeah. 24 divided by four. Right. Shit. Eight. Yeah. Is it eight? Yeah, no. 
six. Shut up, Brian. <laughs> I, I wasn't an A plus math student, but the way that's you rattled that off, little man Tate style. <laughs> you were yeah. seeing numbers in front of you, like beautiful mind, weren't you? you just the numbers come <laughs> through, the shapes. You just, you just right. nailed it with that six. You just said six, like nobody was listening. Amazing. I don't have yeah. that. So I, you know, I do have a, you know, a, he's he's a great influence. I mean, yeah, he's like you know, I've 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 read his stuff for years. So those two. Yeah, those are great. Well, that's a, a great transition to our, our game. So we always end with a little game. I, I read once that you said if you could have any other job in the world, you'd be on Saturday Night Live. And you said, mark my words, I will host Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yes, I, I've I said have that characters many times. too, so I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for that. Um, so we've got these cards here. There's There's four types of cards. And I thought I would give you a classic saturday night live food scene i think mm-hmm. you probably know all, all of these and we'll pick some ingredients and you can tell me what you might prepare that would be we could in- eat while watching that scene perhaps there's some are you sort gonna of tell me maybe are or, you gonna tell me the scene and I, I, I have to guess what the character or or no we're just gonna spin the food off it okay I'm, yeah I'm, I'm i'll tell you it. i'll tell you the scene and then we've got four types of cards so we've got vegetable cards which are vegetables mm-hmm. we've got proteins which are proteins we've oh. got flavors which are like herbs spices and then the fourth option is secret ingredient, which can be kind of obscure or just kind of a random thing. Got it. Um, so we do want to draw one of each. We can sort of play it like I'm kind of envisioning this is like your new show a little bit. Kitch- it's Kitchen Crashers, right? Am I getting the name just right? Kitch- kitchen Crash. We kitchen crash, crash the kitchens, yes. So we'll draw four cards. That's what we have in this kitchen pantry that we've just crashed. And they've got Saturday Night Live on and we're going to make them a, 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 a meal, a dish. I love it. How's that sound? All right, sure. Let's do it. All right. So let's start with the Saturday Night Live scene with Dan Aykroyd as the French chef, as Julia oh, Child. Oh, God, right. Just cutting away, bleeding everywhere. Yes, I love it. All right. And we, what we have in our pantry, we have peas mm-hmm. as our vegetable. Delicious. We've got ginger for a flavor. Mm-hmm. We have our protein is nuts. These Brock are random. I'm assuming nuts. you're just drawing these. Like Brian, these are random. Right? These I, are random. I'm not showing you, but I'm just picking from the middle. Yeah, I'm picking nuts. randomly. This so protein now, is nuts. So any nuts? Okay, we just got nuts. Peas, ginger, and then secret nuts. ingredient is scrapple. I'll hold them up for you here. Ah, uh, scrapple. Right. This is so a scrapple tough one. nuts, ginger, and peas. Yeah, scrapple nuts, ginger, and peas. All right, yeah, hold those up. This is helpful. So I would make yeah. like a pesto with the peas, like a like a, a, a zingy pesto using the peas and nuts. I would use a walnut, which I would okay. you know, mm-hmm. blanch actually, not toast, just to get some of the tannins out and everything, so you don't get that kind of tongue yeah. feel. And then mix those sure. with the peas, a little bit of ginger. I would actually. Then a little bit of ginger. I, I would have to put a little bit of um, cheese in there just for some funk. So we'll do a little pecorino. We'll do some. Okay, yeah. Can I use other ingredients, right? Yeah, no. yeah. We can build on this. Yeah. Okay. So we got that pesto. And then I'm going to take that nice, just a nice half, in, three quarter inch hunk medallion of scrapple, which uh-huh. for those of you who don't know, it's just like. <laughs> There's nothing. I don't know what's in there anymore. It's changed over the years, yeah. I'm sure, but it's 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 mammal meat in there, right? We right. can agree on mammal mm-hmm. meat. So I would yep. take that medallion and I would um oh my god. I I believe it needs even more texture. And since we have that soft, I'm gonna take even more nuts like pistachio, okay. pulverize it, 
uh, egg wash it, uh, do a Feb station using the pistachios, the breading of the scrapple, deep fry the scrapple, and then plate that pesto on there, and you have it almost like a crostini. And oh, that yeah. is the dish, scrapple-tini. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, all right, let's yeah. do one more. Sorry, just threw up <laughs> in my lap. <laughs> I, I think it'd be all right. All right, so our next scene is, um, it's titled Olympia Restaurant, but I think we all know it as the cheeseburger, cheeseburger, Pepsi, no Coke scene, mm-hmm. right? Which is also mm-hmm. inspired by a Chicago landmark, Billy Goat Tavern. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our pantry, we have cilantro. Okay. We've got ground beef as our protein. Perfect. Hey, look at that. No, we matching up. Because the last one, I really Corn. didn't get inspiration out of the French chef's tip. So I'm, I'm going to stay, I'm gonna stay on know. brand here. Okay, sorry. Yeah, what are the odds that we get ground beef with our cheeseburger yeah. scene? Uh, and secret ingredient, oh, here we go, is eel. Oh, my God. All right. So we have ground beef, cilantro, corn, and eel. Man. That's a Ground beef cilantro. The there. There's nothing Billy Goat Tavern about this. <laughs> about um, the, I, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to make a nice burger patty using the ground beef. Yeah. But what we're going to do is fry up some, because they do, they do no fry cheap. So they only serve mm. you chips. So I am going to take the corn, Brian, and I'm going to uh-huh. dehydrate it, then mill it. And make some corn uh-huh. chips out of there, which I will deep fry. And uh, while that's dehydrated, I'm going to dehydrate some of the cilantro and do a nice little coating of cilantro uh, on, on that beautiful homemade corn chip. And then yeah. I'm going to break the rules and make eel fries. We're going to take some eel meat and then uh-huh. make them into batons, which we will deep fry like a French fry. And hopefully you will, you will have that with your burger, which needs a bun. Can I, can I, can I get a bun? You can get a bun. You can get a bun. Man, yeah. dude, I need a bun. Unless yeah. I make a corn bun. <laughs> oh, eel well, bun. yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to mince the fresh eel meat and make it into uh-huh. a delicious slider bun. Oh, oh my God. You All feel right. it, Brian? Do you feel it in the back of your throat? Disgusting. I do kind of. It's so yeah. disgusting. That's yeah. a, That was hard. That was much harder than the first one. All right. Give me another one. That one, the yeah. eel threw All me right. off. All right. Final one. Let's do one more. Okay. Perhaps uh, another classic one, perhaps the most classic is Sweaty Balls, yes. the NPR. It's our night live skip. Let's see what we're working with. We've got spinach. We've got beans, another broad protein category. Paprika is our flavor, and our, oh, our secret ingredient is peppermint. All right, sweaty Ugh. balls. Oh, that's a twist. Ooh. Well, let's make some stanky balls using the peppermint and paprika, both very, uh, ar- uh, you know, aromatic things. We are gonna we're gonna take some beans. I'm gonna do a blend of kidney beans and black beans, um, okay. and we are going to saute them with some spinach, nice and hard till it gets drier with a little uh-huh. shallot, and then we're going to let it cool, and we're going to form it into a ball. And what's what's next to beans again? We have parts. What is that? Oh, paprika. All right. Then we're going to bind it with a little egg, and we are going to take some paprika. We're going to bloom it in some oil, and then I'm going to coat the outside of that stanky ball in some bloomed paprika, right? Okay. Give it a little edge. And then we're going to eat the stanky balls, Brian, with the yep. dipping sauce of ranch. 
more stank. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then we're going to do a nice palate cleanse with the peppermint because of the stank. Smart. Balls. Yeah. Stanky balls. Smart. Jeff Morrow, yes. sign off. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. What a way to close out. Nobody's making balls. any of those recipes <laughs> except for the eel fries. I might be onto something. Yeah. Yeah. Stop it. Uh, well, this was so much fun. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Thank great you. Time. It's great. Thank you, Brian. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find a featured recipe from Come On Over for Jeff's Fig and Mortadella Melt. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes and join the Salt and Spine community to support our show at patreon.com. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan. Stewart. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering digital classes for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books, and to Monique at Hardcover Cook. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. Thank you.